Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Boys, welcome, welcome to episode 50 50-ish. 50-ish. It's, it's like 52, yeah. somewhere around there. I don't know. I don't know. Of Juluminati Podcast, I am always, always one of your hosts, Mike Martin, joined by my other two co-hosts, Alex Fasciani. Hello, sir. I am also sir. always one of your hosts. You are also always one of my hosts. And then, honestly, I think the only one, to, we've done one episode where Jesse wasn't here. What do you mean? I think it was episode 3.5. There was an episode where you were traveling very early on, and yeah, me and you were Alex like out did of a country sh- or something. I can't remember what it was. Yeah. And so- I'm ashamed that I let you two run rampant with one episode, even if it was a 0.5 episode. How dare I? That was the 5G. <laughs> How dare episode. I let the community down? The, fi- the 5G episode? Well, yeah. I, that's obviously true. So we we can only cover such truths when you are away. Right, of course. Yeah. Oh, God. I'm super pumped uh, for this episode today, gentlemen. I have to say, I, I, so I know I said this is Skinwalker. Going into this, this is like double the amount of research, double the amount of time put into this. Today, we're talking about the start, at the very least, of Roswell. The holiest of holies. The holiest of holies. It's the beginning of a lot of things. If we ever want to do more alien things that are more niche, you you really have to cover Roswell and the two crashes around that area because this is a lot of people's introduction to to MJ-12, to to even what greys are as a whole. Um, This is kind of where it all bubbles up. And so we, uh, I want to start, you know, I'm excited to start this this multi-parter. This giant journey, but we couldn't do it without Deanna. Deanna, thank you. You, she, we are. We're talking four books of research. We're gonna go over our sources here in a minute. But I got to pitch it off to Alex first because there would be no Deanna if there was no Patreon. That's right. Oh, we're st- we're we're still doing this. That's right. And if you, we can't afford it. But if you can imagine in the arms of an angel playing under this, please, if you love this show, reach into your hearts and help us out with. A few dollars a month, whatever you can afford, because you are enabling us to have weekly episodes. You are enabling us to have professionally done research, and you are able to eventually get all of us together in a very scary place to do something that we haven't really figured out yet. So if that sounds tied to you, and you love minisodes, head on over to patreon.com slash pod, where you... You can also, you're going to get all that research as well, so you can see what you're paying for. All that research. A lot of it. All of it. All that research. My notes have, like, my jokes in them, too. They do. They actually have the jokes right Yeah, so if you you ever want to see how crazy I am, just read my notes. I don't like I don't like that. You have joke notes? Not, like, every joke that I say is in there, but, like... You know, I like to have a bits, little fun bits. Yes. I like to have a like a vibe of levity when I tell the story because I don't want people to fuck up and actually take it totally serious. You know? 
You get Unlike today's episode where I want you to take this deathly seriously. This there was so a important. Mount Chilmore uh, desecrating the Black Hills of South Dakota. <laughs> <laughs> On it, <laughs> you would see a flying saucer to represent Roswell, New Mexico. The George Washington, who is not on Mount Rushmore. Uh, he's been replaced by uh, a, a, a big alien with big eyes, and he's there. And what? what? Wait, so your Mount Rushmore is a crashed UFO? Yeah. Yeah. I can see it in the side lodge. It's like a crashed Obvious. UFO, but instead of instead of uh, instead of like a face, it's crashed into like you know, like a big alien's face, like the one from the autopsy video. Sure. So in this okay, timeline, so we had to do an alien. <laughs> an alien. All right. What are the other? What are the other three? Uh, big. Teddy Foot. Roosevelt is replaced by Mothman. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Mothman's obviously got to be up. Jefferson there. Right? is Jefferson is Bigfoot. And okay, yeah, 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 yeah. And so who's Lincoln? See, Lincoln should be Bigfoot. I don't know. Just because of the beard? <laughs> Just because of the, the beard? Big head, should the, be the hairy face, you know? He's a little bit more associated with the outdoors. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'll okay. Then Jefferson. Who's Jefferson? Who is the smiling man injured cold? Uh, I feel like he has to be one of the, like, some sort of sea creature. Well, what about <laughs> the Loch Ness Monster? <laughs> Well, is that an American thing? Oh, though? okay, all right. I didn't realize that the Mount Chilmore was the American. It's, it's the American version. Okay. Please. Uh, uh, what if what if it's just a cryptid. thing representing the Bermuda Triangle? Just a big ass like space. <laughs> just a triangle. Just a triangle. Just yeah. a triangle, and a, a, it's just a giant airplane black box <laughs> with a with yeah, a yeah. with a thermometer in its mouth and a and a handkerchief around its head, like it's got a fever from the 1920s. <laughs> mm -hmm. I like it. I like Great. it. Done. Perfect. Fan art, please. Nailed it. No, the Boston Bean Boy's got to get up there at some point. He's can just we shout out somewhere. to yeah, all the fucking we? incredible, like comic book quality Boston Bean Boy, uh, fucking art that we, we need got. to keep this going. Boston Bean Boy art. We need to if we can get a Wikipedia page on like some sort of paranormal website there's or a like, there's version a wiki of Wikipedia, for so yeah. If we can start. Making that, but don't reference this podcast at all, please. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you if you think Shepard Fairy, if you think Shepard Fairy is out there listening to episodes of Chiluminati, we want we want the Boston Bean Boy to be the next Andre the Giant. Like, let's let's get that BBB, you know, in, <laughs> the ba Boston the, baked the, Bean Boy, BBBB, the B, the Boston baked Bean Boy. Yeah, that's B how he B is. Before, because he B steals, because yeah, he steals your legal nugs. Stealing nugs. Yeah, yeah. Legal nugs. Legal nugs. Legal nugs. He's only no, in the states where it's legal. Yeah, <laughs> and he, uh, we need to just get him out there, keep talking about him. We definitely need, we need a shirt. Yeah, we're going to get we some merch. We need people out there to uh, just reference him in, in conversation. And if somebody like, oh, could, yeah, like uh, the Boston Big Bean Boy. If somebody could see him, that would be great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, could, you know, just yeah. spot him if somewhere. you could somehow get shaky camera footage of the Boston Baked Bean Boy getting your your legal nugs that would be great this is what you back you know, and fund you know, on like patreon the alien in the driveway the alien that's like walking. <laughs> the one that looks like Dobby. <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 the wobbly leg <laughs> one get a boston big bean boy <laughs> in the driveway <laughs> just slapping on down the block <laughs> oh my god dude <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
I love this stupid fucking. This is what you fund at Patreon. Thank you, everybody. This is the best. We're definitely get some merch up for the Boston Baked Bean Boy. We got Schlorp oh merch God. coming. Keep your well, eyes out. How far out. have we fallen? What? Is, what or how, how high have we ascended, gentlemen? I'm the Patreon guy, and I'm disgusted by our own <laughs> market savvy at this point. <laughs> is it market savvy? Boston Baked Bean Boy needs a shirt. I'd wear that shirt proudly. Me too, dude. Are you kidding me? He has to say I, 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 again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he does not. No, that's what he's shouting. Legalize. He's yelling it. He's in a speech bubble no. next to him. Legalize it. <laughs> or no, need, he sounds no. like John F. Kennedy. Legalize <laughs> it. We need to on this shirt. We can't have it related to this podcast. Oh. The shirt needs to say, "I went to Boston and all I saw was the Bean Boy." So we yeah. need like a shirt that looks like you bought it at a Boston tourist shop. I agree. I bought legal I like weed in Boston and it got stolen by the Boston Bakery. <laughs> yeah, like that. Yes. Oh man. Yes. Yes. We need that. Okay. We Have need, you seen my we weed? Need... We need to tap an artist. We got to hire somebody away. to whip up a little art, and that's what we need to do. We need to not have any reference to this podcast. We nope. need to start this grassroots where in 20 years from now, people are like, I saw them. I saw them out on the street stealing sweet, sweet nugs. <laughs> I know. I know this is happening. I, I knew it was it. him because they were legal nugs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. We... Thank you guys uh, for allowing us to do our nonsense. We have to divert into the more serious stuff now. Roswell, New Mexico. First, we want to uh, acknowledge our sources for those who like to read along in the book club, both in and out of the Discord. If you like to read along with us, we have uh, four major books that we used for research here. The first one is Crash at Corona, the U.S. Military Retrieval and Cover-Up, the 2004 edition specifically. The authors of this are Don Berliner and Stanton Friedman. Uh, Don Berliner has been a longtime uh, journalist, aviation historian, been writing full-time for 30 years, uh, has been uh, a newspaper reporter and photographer, assistant editor, Capitol Hill correspondent, a bunch of other stuff. Stanton Friedman um, actually has his uh, Master's of Science in Nuclear Physics. Uh, he was uh, employed by a bunch of high, uh, high-end pl places like Aerojet, uh, General Nucleonics, General well, now Mortars. Now spends most of his time on Coast to Coast AM. <laughs> and then, well, and then in 1970, he went and pursued sci uh, the scientific investigation of USO UFOs full time. Um, the USO. USOs, different, totally different. They're doing entirely something, different. I tell you. They're bringing all those people around the world. <laughs> How? How can they do it? How can they do it all in one night? Only with a UFO. Uh, also, the other books, The Roswell Instant, the classic study of UFO contacts. This is particularly used for uh, interviews. Um, a lot of uh, th this, there's, this book is basically just a compilation of interviews of people around that time. Uh, then we've got UFO Crash at Wat Roswell. Uh, we use that for research and a bunch of articles and whatnot. We're not going to go into the details, but uh, if you want the books, those three books are the major, major uh, sources for this, uh, this bundle of episodes that you're going to get. Uh, the Roswell incident in particular is kind of like a modern day fairy tale at this point. It's a modern folklore story told to those in circles who care about that sort of shit anyway. Uh, it's, it's an event so covered up in its own lies, deceit, backtracking, uh, backtracking of statements, released, unreleased, re-released, and modified, but otherwise unchanged. And there's a lot that went into the Roswell incident that makes it very confusing, even for those who believe that it was a weather balloon in the end of it all. I'm going to give my full opinion at the end of this series, but to suffice to say, if this is all about a weather balloon, it's insane the lengths that they went to cover it all up. For weeks in late June, leading up to July in 1947, reports of dazzling lights, mysterious objects, and UFOs were running rampant in the area. During that time, an object of some sort crashed into a nearby sheep ranch, spreading debris over a square mile. On July 8th, 1947, 
a press release went out to the news stations across the country. This press release, first issued by First Lieutenant Walter Hout under direct orders from Colonel William Blanchard, stated the following, and I quote, The rumor, the many rumors regard, regarding the flying disc became a reality yesterday when the intelligence office of the 509th Bomb Group of the uh, either Air Force Roswell Army Airfield was fortunate enough to gain possession of a disc through the cooperation of one of the local ranchers in the sheriff's offices of Chaves County. The flying object landed on a ranch near Roswell sometime last week. Not having phone facilities, the rancher stored the disc until such a time as he was able to contact the sheriff's office, who in turn notified Major Jesse A. Marcel of the 509th Bomb Group Intelligence Office. Action was taken immediately, and the disc was picked up at the rancher's home. It was inspected at the Roswell Army Airfield and subsequently loaned by Major Marcel to higher headquarters. End quote. That was the report that went out. As I love soon they as call we it a disc. It. That's so funny to me. They called it a disc. Uh, transport the disc. Yep. <laughs> it, it's bizarre. Uh, however, following that crazy information and press release, not three hours later, another message got sent out rectifying the claim that it was not indeed a flying saucer or disc, but instead a weather balloon. While, and while behind the scenes, while they were put that correction out, the United States Air Force packed up the remnants of this balloon into a B-29 Super Fortress flown by the 509th out of Roswell to Fort Worth with Major Marshall inside the plane. The literal exact plane that flew the A-bomb and dropped it in Japan. The actual same plane? The actual same plane flown by the exact same outfit flown out of Roswell to Fort Worth with this balloon inside of it. Is the implication that they're like a prestigious group? It's like neat. So top. if you want to look up, look at like look it up. B-29 Super Fortresses, they're enormous. That's they're what I was huge. gonna ask. Is they're, like, like to how make big one of these things wreckage? fly, you it's a lot of fuel, a lot of people. I think what Alex is asking though is like the crew, the reason why it's the same crew is if they could keep their mouth shut about like dropping bombs, yes, we can. they could keep their mouth shut about transporting. The, the idea a ship is that we're looking at evidence that they employed the same discreet elite crew of pilots yes, who same carried another people. precious piece of cargo, right? Correct. Okay. Or just okay. if you want to believe it, just use that plane, that car, that, that, uh, that crew for a weather balloon. Right. But I'm, how, how big was the wreckage? We're gonna get we're gonna get to talk about all in detail what what wreckage was found, how long it was kept, what the rancher saw, all that stuff. We're I'm gonna just talk all to think about why that. you would need a super fortress like that's a that's a huge yeah that's it's a, a huge it's a monster thing. ship it's Google, a monster Google that audience look how big it is. But let me continue a little while here. Following that official story was that it was a piece of wreckage as a uh, part of the the weather balloon, what's known as a radar reflector called a raw raw. Rawinsond, I think that I'm probably butchering it, but it's spelled R-A-W-I-N-S-O-N-D-E. That's what the, uh, after a day or two passed, that's what the official claim is what they picked up was a, a Rawinsond. So if you look that up, it's not really all that big. You can even look it up from the 40s. There's pictures of it from the 40s in case you don't want, you know, modern ones not too, too different. Oh, it's like one of those big white balloons, eh? Yeah, more or less. So okay. it's kind of like a deflated air thing. Yeah, it's like a, it's kind of like a like a sort of like loosey goosey droopy balloon that floats sort of. high as hell up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, General Ramy Ramy went on Fort Worth radio station, went on the Fort Worth radio station, and explained things to calm things down. He also announced that he'd be on NBC to address the country later on. However, 
that never went through and it never happened. And that's where the story ends for most people. And that's certainly where the government forces it to end as best they can. But if one just looks a little deeper, there's a whole lot that doesn't make sense. How can something like a balloon crash into the ground so violently that it scattered its parts over a square mile? Why was the first press release under, under orders of a colonel speaking openly about a flying disc? Why fly the wreckage of such a simple thing on a B-29 Superfortress, the very same planes that carried the A-bomb to Japan? But over this multi-part series, we're ideally going to try and dissect that deep dive and drag everything out that we can get our hands on. And while it still might not be an actual physical alien craft, or is it? Uh, who knows? There are plenty of other things that it could be that aren't a weather balloon. And so I'm super excited because now it's finally time to dive into Roswell. UFO sightings, while certainly hitting peaks and valleys through the decades, have been around longer than most people believe. While in the 40s, especially UFO fever was hitting a high, we can actually look back decades and centuries, as we've talked about on the podcast many times before, and still see claims of magnificent and weird shit in the sky all the time. True, uh, by definition, UFO sightings. In the 19th century, plenty of captains of sea vessels and astronomers would see lights in the skies that would perplex them, moving in ways that confused them. And so they deemed them remarkable meteors, as they at least knew what a meteor was and could compare them to that. Remies. <laughs> Is that... <laughs> I'm just trying to jazz it up. Like, I feel like Remarkable Meteors sounds like it was invented by a 19th century astronomer. Yeah, like the guys who built the dinosaurs wrong. You know what I mean? Like, some kind of... not everything needs to be like jazzed up, though. Dude, I'm just they saying, call them kids. Is that weird? Oh. Is that Alex's purpose, though? Jazz I'm things just saying, up, like, man. imagine you're on the radio. We're like, we have a remarkable meteor in sight. That's like, that's too much. It's a mouthful. Come on. <laughs> I mean, they didn't have radios back then. I'm just saying, you know what I'm saying. You get what I, I'm all right. saying. And you know, I know what you're saying. Wait, I, who didn't have radios back then? What year are you talking about? The 19th century. Yeah, like oh, the olden times. The old it makes sense captains, why they call it. Captain pilots and captain like astronomers on the seas. Yeah, sure. Okay, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. where okay. we're starting. We're all talking right. about that. Yeah, there's all no right. radios. Right. They don't need to jazz up remarkable meteors because, you know, it's very I mean, They had telegraphs. They could have been like, remarkable <laughs> media, stop. Coming in, stop. In the Short late from now on, stop. In the late 19th Stop. century, Remarkable Meteors could be, like, the name of a magazine. Like, like, the, the, like <laughs> Remarkable Meteors, true. issue 31. <laughs> Stories of the sky. Remies <laughs> were seen floating over the air. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, things get way more interesting as we push time a little forward. With the invention of airships, a rash of new reports were, were dubbed mystery airships in the sky. Think about, um, I think Jesse even talked about it a little bit. Remember when Zeppelins and mystery Zeppelins in the sky... Um, kind of ghost ships that flew around, that kind of thing. Those were being seen more and more. But it wasn't until we had airplanes in the sky that they truly became commonplace. Mystery airplanes were all around with no explanation. And reaching the end of World War II, we saw a huge uptick in UFOs. Tell me, gentlemen, if this sounds a little familiar. Soldiers at the end of World War II were starting to report and see things known as, quote, playful balls of light that would dip, dodge through the trees and keep just out of range of the soldiers. Other playful balls of light would also be in the sky, tagging along by, beside the pilots as they flew. They were, by all accounts, docile, and the suggestions for natural phenomena were your common grab bag of things like uh, St. Elmo's fire, which is the atmospheric discharge of static electricity. 
or they would hand wave it away as enemies developing new secret technology and they were using it to test uh How would they, the they time wave to it away it. is that ah, it's probably just enemies testing super secret technology <laughs> no big deal well so to me also at the same time like if that's true why are they being passive and why are they characterizing them as playful Yes, also true. Why are they calling them playful balls of light? Or playbolas, as we call them on the Chiluminati podcast. <laughs> what? <laughs> was that another... No comment. <laughs> I should not call them that. A no. playful ball of light, playbola. So it wasn't just the U.S. seeing it either. There were reports of all soldiers... Uh, of, there were reports of all kinds coming from soldiers from all every side of the war. And they would eventually be dubbed Foo Fighters. Hence term and that's where uh the band gets their name then that's we get the best the best i honestly couldn't think of a foo fighter song so thank you for doing something because i just is like i don't have i don't have anything and i wonder could have gone with learn to fly okay yeah there you go oh what a great that would have been a great reference right all there. i really want to ask of you do you believe a flying saucer crashed in the new mexico desert in 1947 <laughs> I just, I mean, do I'm you not, though? Do you do, believe? I'm just going to put this out there, but my father was born in 47, and I'm not saying oh. I always thought he was an alien, but. You are a star child. You, what you, if I'm a star child? You it was like a Superman scenario? Like what if was my like dad a baby? was Superman? Yeah, but he like wasted it on just like <laughs> maybe he just doesn't, out. Maybe he just got like, maybe when he got exposed to Yellow Sun, he just like, maybe he can just like fart really quietly like maybe it's just like not that big that of a has deal. never been his power <laughs> never, okay fair enough. Never been his fair enough i'm not i'm not on the inside on that one i can't i can't talk i can't speak on that oh maybe he just like he's really good at making fall off the bone ribs like you know maybe it's just like a little like no a little, that's no. not true either unfortunately no? i mean i'm just throwing true. them out as examples like i said <laughs> Does he have met, of, co- of course i've of course. never met the guy does he of have course. like a dad dish that he just is really good at I mean, he used to make like a mean salsa. Do aliens make good salsa? Is that like a thing? I don't know. Mean salsa. That's like that's just like what a dad does. Yeah, like a mean salsa. It could just be tomatoes and onions, and it could be a meat salsa if your dad makes it. Yeah, dads make mean salsas. Oh, but he would spice it up. You got to have the jalapenos. Yeah, you got to put them in there. And the (laughs) onion. Come on now. All right. Anyway, what are we? Anyway, yeah, you're making me fucking hungry, dude. I need to eat. Um, (laughs) beyond that, uh, was there, and it's time to talk about Foo Fighters. Some yeah, more. so Foo Fighters, uh, that's what they dubbed them at the end of World War II. But sound familiar to Skinwalker Ranch? Just a little bit. Just a little no, bit. No, What? Same what? type of stuff. Same type of reporting. Yeah, same kind of activity. But what if we just, like, cut Skinwalker Ranch off from this discussion? <laughs> it's impossible. I can never, I can never cut that out of that's my life. That's why Skinwalker Ranch is the biggest scam of all. Listen. Because Skinwalker Ranch is everything. So every time you bring up anything, you have to be like, well, you know, like Skinwalker Ranch. Yeah. They, the marketing on Skinwalker Ranch, the team is so good. They're like, well, yeah, Bigfoot, aliens, Chupacabra, Loch Ness Monster, it's all there. Parallel dimensions, it's all there. The Loch Ness Monster was not there. No one said that. Nobody saw him there. Dozens of hours of my life into reading and researching and outlining and scripting goddamn Skinwalker Ranch. I will bring it up as many times as I want to or need to. I'm just saying, it seems like they're trying to con. It's like the late night infomercial of. No, we're the late, we're the Loch this monster was hanging out with the other guy who shot JFK. <laughs> They're all there. Yes. Everybody's there, dude. Everybody's Everyone's there. there. <laughs> Every time we cover 
they go to Skinwalker Ranch after. Whatever we cover, it migrates to Skinwalker after. You think I'm joking that's what Skinwalker Ranch is. Let's not pretend that's what that is. Maybe Did Skinwalker you see- Ranch is like, uh, you know, like fables, but for... For, for cryptids and 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 uh, conspiracy theories. Sure. Oh yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, that's where they like retire. You know, they will live together <laughs> in a community. <laughs> the, the Skinwalker Ranch retirement community for for cryptids. For, for cryptids. cryptids, yes. And oh, it's right. so yeah. good. That's another. That's another. Write that down. Bigsby, Bigfoot. Yeah. Right. Mothman. And, uh, obviously, the detective of the of the of the town. Mossman. Yeah. Mossman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's. You obviously he's they have a, they have to have a nurse. So Nurse Nessie. Yeah, yeah. A Loch Ness monster. Right, yeah. They're all there. They're yeah. all there. It's all right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the anyway, guy who shot JFK has a paper bag over his head with a question mark <laughs> on it all the time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, so we push forward to 1946. The Scandinavian countries all across. Uh, all, let, me, let me try to reword that. Scandinavian countries in 1946 were reporting tons of lights in the sky. Eventually, they would become known as Swedish ghost lights. Swedish light balls. Swedish light balls. <laughs> but it wouldn't be until the summer of 1947 where all those events leading up to Roswell would happen. And so we shift our focus to Roswell, New Mexico. Now, it's funny that there's UFO flaps tend to happen during the summertime. I just want to point that out as well. I know I, I have this written down. I got to use it. The most active points in Skinwalker Ranch were during the summertime. It seemed to take winter off and, and not be active during the winter. And it seems similar here where there's a rash of stuff happening in the summer and then it all culminates to one big event and then it all stops and then nobody sees anything anymore. Someone it's very it bizarre. Thinner there. Yeah, perhaps a flap of some a sort. A flap of some kind, some sort of thinning of the barrier between worlds. <laughs> we have Just it. like... At Skinwalker. Yes. Right. You're starting Available to understand. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lies. So, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about Roswell, New Mexico as a whole, much like when we did Skinwalker. I want to cover a little bit about the geography and history of the area. Roswell, New Mexico is located in Chavez County, which forms the entirety of the Roswell micropolitan area. It is a population of around 50,000, and the city was officially founded on August 20th, 1873. Roswell's been home to the New Mexico Military Institute since 1891, a four-year high school and two junior high school, junior colleges, whose presence contributed to the New Mexico becoming a state in 1912. In the 1930s, the city was chosen to house Dr. Goddard's rocket experiments, who remained for 12 years and led to Roswell being dubbed, quote, the cradle of space exploration, end quote. And then in 2012, fearless Felix Baumgartner, left Roswell Airport in a balloon and floated 39,000-ish meters above the ground, which is around 24 miles or so, to the stratosphere before jumping and returning safely back to Earth. He set the record for, the, uh, for exit altitude, highest manned balloon flight, and fastest speed of freefall at over 830 miles per hour. Was that the Red him, Bull thing? I think you might be right. Where he, like, it was, like, live-streamed and he, like, jumped from, like, that was that was... That was amazing. He was the first human to break the barrier of sound outside of a vehicle. Yeah, that was like Iron Man shit. That was crazy looking. Happened in Roswell, baby. Oh, they're so they've got so much stuff that goes for them. Uh, However, the city was made famous for the July 1947 UFO crash, 
However, the crash was more closely located to Corona, New Mexico at the Foster Sheep Ranch owned by Mac Brazel, the, the rancher we talked about a little earlier, with another crash happening in the plains of San Augustin, known as the Flats. However, as Corona is a small village with a population of under 200, Roswell was more well-known and had more resources to investigate the crash and kind of by umbrella and a suction effect, it all kind of became known as one event, the Roswell, New Mexico event. Um, there's, a, there's a sweet um, little, like if you can actually go look, if, you, if anybody cares, there's actually a, a little map you can check out on Wikipedia that shows exactly where the crash sites are in relation to the cities so you kind of know where it all happened. Um, at this point, though, we're going to bump into the timeline of events. We're going to jump into the, the weeks leading up uh, up to the, the actual sighting now. And we're going to talk a lot about um, what was being seen because a lot of it was the very much the same. Summer 1947, I would personally consider a UFO flap. And it starts on the 25th of June in 1947. A lot of people just jumped to the crash, but it was actually a dentist by the name of Dr. R.F. Sensenbauer who actually had the very first sighting out in Silver City, New Mexico on a, on a nice evening. The doctor ended up seeing what he described as, quote, a flying saucer-shaped object about one half the size of the moon, unquote. What? And it was a saucer-shaped flying object about one half size of the full moon. Oh, like in the sky. Okay. In the sky. Yeah, like, yeah. what in the like fuck how he is he it. talking about? The yeah, Death Star like, rolling like up? Mothership kind of? Yeah. Like what? <laughs> okay. um, it was moving at a relatively high speed to the south of him. One day later, June 26th, 1947, Lexington, Kentucky, another doctor saw something. A doctor by the name of Dr. Leon Otinger. He saw, quote, a large civil, silver ball-shaped object, clearly not a ballooned or dirigible, traveling at high speed near the edge of the Grand Canyon, end quote. So this thing zipped by. Grand Canyon, a lot of UFO sightings out there, by the way. Uh, this silver ball-shaped object. Now, what that interests me, because people keep seeing saucers, but a lot of saucers, when they travel by people who see them, they don't actually travel like this, like you see in the movies. A lot of the time, what they see is the, the saucer flips up on it like a 90-degree angle and then moves forward like that, uh, if that makes sense. So it kind of moves up, and then its front is like a flat plate moving forward. Okay. If that does that make does that am I giving you a good visual here? Like it, like it's like it lands yes. flat and then it like stands it, up like a rocket that, ship and takes off straight up into the air. But it'll move. It'll it'll do that in the air. It'll do that in the air. We'll just kind of flip onto its side and it'll still travel forward. But it's traveling forward with its what could be considered at the top. Now it's front. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see yeah. So like it it would propel like uh, a helicopter does when it does like the like. It's angled yeah, down, but, but like perfectly ninety degrees, not actually fully angled. Like you can, see, it just goes whoop, and then it moves. Interesting. I only now say that because that he's saying he sees a ball, and I'm just one. I'm curious if he saw the front facing part of the object or something along it's those like lines. It's like Boba Fett's ship. Like it's like yeah, kind of more like sure. Boba Fett's okay, ship. Yeah. There we go. That's a yeah. really good. That's yeah. a really good comparison. Yeah. Thank you, Star Wars. I don't know why I didn't jump to that. George Lucas alien. What? A Star Child complete? I don't think George Lucas is an alien or a Star Child. I think George Lucas would be the one that like wants to go breed with the aliens. He's like the Richard Dreyfus character. That's why the Twi'leks are so hot. What? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I, I yeah. mean, yeah. No. You, oh yeah. Wrong. Oh yeah. 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 I, I, I just don't don't question. Like, he made them hot because he loves aliens, dude. That's the point. Anyway, the next day, 
the 27th of June, 1947, we have five sightings all in the same day scattered across um, a few different places. The first one is Tintown, Arizona. A disc-shaped object overhead zipped by and apparently came down to earth around 10.30 in the morning. This was reported by John Pesh, who is an electrician. So basically what he ended up seeing is he a, a, a disc zipped over and then it came down like towards out of sight, but was moving down towards earth. He believed to be moving toward it. And just on kind the 27th? Of, on the, this is on the 27th. Okay. Of uh, This is like the next day after that. Sighting two, also Arizona, but this time in Warren. The witness was actually a military man, Major George Wilcox. He saw a series of eight or nine perfectly spaced discs traveling at high speed with a wobbling motion. Discs passed over Wilcox's house at three-second intervals heading east and estimated to be at a height of about 1,000 feet over the, above the mountaintops. Do these people know each other at all? They weren't close enough to, to like no. be... Yeah, okay. This is all... No. And, and if to, to further, we're going to actually move to New Mexico on the same day with a different sighting. So moving even out of Arizona. But this is a, somebody who, who has a little bit more credibility than, I guess, an electrician seeing... Things zipping over his uh, his house at and he you know like I said thousand feet over the mountaintops it's not that high up I mean it's high but not that high. The third sighting would be over in Pope, New Mexico, by a man uh, known as W. C. Dobbs. He simply said, "quote I saw a white disc glowing like an electric light bulb," unquote, and he said it was passing over overhead. So a white disc again, glowing, but this time glowing. Like a light bulb, I guess. It really sounds like some people saw something. Like, was this all over the paper, or was this just, like, reports coming in? These are all reports coming in. Over the course of the two weeks, people are reporting it, as they would to, um, you know, the Air Air Force Base and such that you would. Cops, police. Right. So these aren't things that are being reported on, right? They're just, like... Correct. These are just reports of. So here's the next one. Fourth sighting. White Sands Missile Range. The witness, Captain E. B. Detchmendi. Minutes after the, fir- the the sighting we just talked about, the one above, the W.C. Dobbs one, this one oh, happened, and it was another disc traveling quickly overhead, heading to the south w- southwest of the base. So it zipped over the be- base in a southwest direction. Last one, sighting five. San Miguel, New Mexico. Mrs. David Appelzoller. She saw roughly an hour after sighting the fourth sighting, the one we just saw above, uh, uh, I say above because it's in my script. You guys can't see that. But the, the one we referenced a minute ago, she saw a similar object sighted over the city, also heading southwest. So the question is, if these are to be taken as real and you don't, we, we can question them all you want, but is it the same craft that everybody's seeing and it's ripping by across the skies and over these states and just traveling in the same direction? Or is it multiple different things, maybe two different ships, or maybe even three? I don't know. What do you, what's your, how's your feel? What's it's your just, feeling on it's this? It's so hard to deny, like, a rash of sightings. If two not, military ones in the same day, three civilian like, ones. Like, if it's not paper, if it's not, like, media whipping up a frenzy, like, because that's the thing that really, like. That happens the after the crash. That's yeah. what I mean. Like, that's the thing that really takes the wind out of the, out of the sails a lot of the time is that it's, like. There's a bunch of reports, but it's because, like, it's getting covered in the paper every night. I was going to ask, like, yeah. what is the what what is the timing on these? Uh, time, timing between, what do you mean? Like, um, 
when people came out and said on the twenty seventh uh, it was five in one night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These right, are all, but did all five report it in one uh, like that night? Uh, that's a good question. I don't. That's, I mean, that's the biggest concern for me is that I'm curious. You can say like five days later. Oh yeah, I, uh, that night I saw a thing. But I'm curious what the. I actual, know the reports like, came before the crash. I just don't know if they were that night or during the two weeks at some point during like exactly when. Because I, I imagine the military like, ones were, were reported immediately. When you say like, oh, it's a, um, it could be one or it could be many. Oh yeah, that's. Like, I mean, it's I don't all know. About, like what your point of view is, right? Yeah. Because if you want to believe that it's a ship that can move super fast, then it's one thing. Yes. But if you're like, well, I don't know, it could be many things. I'm I'm really curious to see what the actual numbers are when it comes. I to will. Who how about this? What. I will make a note and I'll come back to you with that in episode two. And I will have Excellent. that at the top just so I have an Thank idea. You. Regardless of what it is, though, I think it's hard to say that something didn't happen that night, especially since two of the reports were from military guys, right? Which means yeah. they probably were sure. reporting that stuff in. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it's just like when you see modern-day UFOs that are being fu- – obviously, they're tracking something. Yes. We just don't know what. And, and I think this is a perfect example of, like, something happened, and nobody – it's been a cover-up so long that it's been so – like convoluted, we have no clue what actually occurred. Right. Yeah, and it just the deeper we'll you dig, the know. more confusing it gets, which is just so yeah. it's so bizarre. Now we move over to the next day. Only one sighting, twenty eighth of June, nineteen forty seven, Alamogordo, New Mexico. Captain F. Divin, who was a pilot, saw quote a ball of fire with a fiery blue tail behind it. Unquote. Path ben- pass beneath his aircraft, and then it appeared to disintegrate. Ball Simple of fire as that. With, blue with a blue tail behind it, went under his ship and appeared to disintegrate. Could be a meteor, could be something coming in, you know, that that to me sounds closer to like a weird meteor or something coming in. Um, who knows? But something to keep note of. Then two more sightings on the 29th of June, 1947, the next day. This one, first one, Cliff, New Mexico. The witness was a bunch of Army Air Force pilots, just a bunch of them. They conducted a search for a fallen object reported to have fallen sometime before noon that day. However, they found nothing, but they were in their report, they reported a strange odor in the air. So they got a report of a strange object that apparently fell, checked it out. So they went on nothing. foot down? Yeah, they went out there on foot. Mm-hmm. And they smelled something. They smelled something, but saw nothing. No physical evidence of a crash. No uh, destroyed trees, no burn marks, none of that stuff. I hate to say it, but you know what other place is really famous? I know. Skinwalker Ranch, baby. But, okay, so I'll get into depth. We'll talk about it again, but we're going to see things that we've talked about before. The idea of, of, you know, if you really want to get weird with it, aliens being a mix of physical and psychic in nature in that they're... There may be, you know, like there there's sightings, but then there's nothing there, and there's a smell, but there's no no vehicle, even though the army was, you know, got pinged of a location. Right, they're tracking it. Yeah, it's, it's weird. Awful. It's weird. It's just fucking weird. Who saw the, I, who saw the object fall? Pilots. Uh, the, the, the previous day, a the object. Uh, the, oh, who uh, you talking about that particular when day? They went to go when they went. To they go got find a re- it, and there was they the got a smell. report of a fallen object. It, I'm curious if it was the object prior uh, that day. Um, no, it wouldn't be because it was the prior day in a different town. But so they just got a report. From, it just came from a, from a their civilian? base. Like, Hey, a report of a, it, it probably could, it could have come from a civilian. It could have come from one of their scouts. Okay. Who fucking knows? But they went out on an official, they went on an official I got uh, okay. army business. All right. 
The, the second sighting was uh, by Dr. C.J. Zahn the same day. This was in the White Sands Proving Ground. He simply saw a silver-colored disc that did a bunch, uh, a series of maneuvers at high altitude over a secret rocket test range. This is also very, very common with UFOs. Nuclear sites, missile sites, UFOs will come by, sometimes do nothing, sometimes do something, and then zip away. Sometimes they, uh, uh, what do you call them? Soldiers say they see them getting scanned. Um, but this is also weird too. It kind of shows up, does a bunch of weird jerky maneuvers in the sky, and then takes off, gone. That's the thing. There's so many things in this case about like flying objects that are like maneuvering around. Yep. And I just don't see a weather balloon doing that. And keep in mind too, this is happening how long after we dropped the A-bomb? Like two years. This is 1947. Yeah. So two, we, we dropped it in 46. Yeah. So 45. That's a Jesse I can't question. Remember. Jesse, when did we drop the A-bomb in Japan in World War II? Was it 45 or 46? To end the war? Yeah. 45. 45. So a couple years later, we're looking at after we dropped the A-bomb. And there is an argument that if if it is extraterrestrial in nature, they took interest when we started splitting the atom and causing mass destruction. But again, a, a fun theory for another time. Anyway, that's what they saw on that day. 30th of June, 1947, the next day. Location, Albu Albuquerque, New Mexico. A rail worker by the name of Price saw 13 silvery disc-shaped objects uh, while we're, we're traveling one after the another. Initially heading south, they then changed course abruptly and then went east and then reversed dramatically going west before disappearing out of sight. Like, what is that? Like, what could that be? I don't know. It's so weird. It's so that's weird. That's another official report, right? That's a, a railroad a railroad worker. This is not a this is not a uh, military uh, site. Right, this is a, he, somebody called he, it into the yeah called it into the police. Yeah. You know, blah, blah blah. I saw this. I saw this. I saw this. Um, sighting two of that day was then in uh, uh, Tucumcari, I think is how you say it. Tucumcari, New Mexico. This was another uh, just civilian. Helen Hardin. She was a Quay County abstract company employee. Are we on the She's 30th so now? We are still, this is still, uh, yes, this is still the 30th. Okay. Citing two of the 30th. The railroad worker was the 30th. This is also the 30th. Okay. She saw a flying saucer from her front porch traveling east to west at high speed, about half the size of the full moon with slight yellow cast. So it was glowing slightly yellow, going east to west, back and forth a bunch. I wish she saw a lot of them. I wish she saw 13. Yeah, but remember so the general, cool. the general like earlier saw nine. I know, like they maybe they were buzzing the, the whole Not area. the general, but the yeah, it's so it's weird. And then we get to the first of July, 1947, where we got three well, we got seven okay, so it's three major sightings, but the third one is broken down into nine because it was the same thing saw seen by a bunch of people all at once. Um, so first sighting was Albuquerque, New Mexico. This is July 1st, 1947. Again, uh, chamber of commerce executive Max Hood saw a bluish disc zigzagging across the Northwestern sky. So that's another point for bluish. Yep. Bluish. This one is time. Another government worker. Yep. Um, sighting to Phoenix, Arizona. So super far away from, uh, or far away from New Mexico. Uh, witnesses were Mr. And Mrs. Frank Munn. They saw just a large object moving over the east of Phoenix. Just a huge, just an object kind of going. And then, then the last one, which are seven separate reports, all of the same thing. In Mexicali, 
from Mexicali to Juarez, Mexico, there were just reports of just people of civilians seeing flying discs from Mexicali all the way to Juarez. This was in Mexico, mind you, not in New Mexico or the States. This is south, yeah. further south. That is crazy, man. Like, I, I feel like whatever it was, there was probably multiple ones, and they were probably yeah. up there in the sky, you know? Yeah. I don't know what it, else. But, uh, like, I don't know what else I'm willing to believe. But at least, like, it's it's so many different reports. Yeah, it's it's insane. And all just kind of going about their day. There's nothing, like, incredible about these sightings either. A lot of the times, you know, I want you want to be like, well, I was out on my front porch. This thing landed and communicated with me. But really, these are just, like, really quick. Like, I was walking and thing kind of zipped by and there it goes. Or I was at my base and they kind of did a bunch of dances and went east. And they're just very, very quick things. It's very bizarre. We have one more day of uh, with one more, one more sighting before we actually have to move down to proper Roswell. July second, nineteen forty-seven. This was in proper Roswell, New Mexico. Mister and Missus Dan Wilmot. They claim to have seen a large glowing object as it passed over the home, traveling northwest at a high rate of speed. Again, something so simple, just kind of glowing and going by, right by their house in New Mexico. And that would be the last one of the sightings before the actual incident. And from here on out, there's going to be a lot of characters involved. As I said, this is probably one of the more in-depth ones we're doing. So this is going to be kind of part history, part crazy, hopefully all together and for an enjoyable uh, thing. Because now we got to move into, I want to talk a little bit about the people involved. So you understand who these people are when their names come up and just where their positions were within the government at the time. It's not like a huge list of 20 people, right. just about seven or so that are worth noting. We've got W.W. Mac Brazel. This is the foreman at the forest ranch. This is the rancher that, that ended up having the, the crash happen on his ranch site. So Mac Brazel, rancher. Is this the Sheriff guy from the George, picture? Uh, likely, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's also Sheriff George A. Wilcox. He's the sheriff of Chavez County, which is the county Roswell's in. Um, he's the one that ends up responding to the rancher and gets to see the debris first before the U.S. Army gets their hands on it. So it's important to know what take what he says with that in mind. Frank Joyce is a reporter and announcer for the Roswell radio station KGFL. He interviewed Mac Brazel on the telephone before the military arrived and was later told a different story entirely. We'll go about that as well. Major Jesse A. Marshall, you might remember recognize the name. We talked about him a little earlier. He's the one, uh, the intelligence office at Roswell Army Airfield 509th Bomb Group Intelligence Officer. He picked up uh, the material at the ranch and then later flew with it personally on the Super Fortress from Roswell, New Mexico to Fort Worth, uh, Fort Worth, Texas. He was the same guy who flew with Little Boy. He's the, what? Little the Boy. Bomb? Yeah, no, he's no, no. He didn't fly with the bomb. He's he just flew personally with the uh, the crash debris okay. from Roswell there. Uh, then there's CIC Cavett. He's the counterintelligence officer. He picked up material at the ranch has since denied any involvement despite multiple eyewitness testimonies putting him at the scenes. We'll talk about that as well. Gerald Anderson claimed to have found wreckage and bodies on the plains of San Augustine. That's the second crash site, but remember, about 120 miles from where Mac Brazel found the wreckage. Six years old, and this was all six years old at the time. He was six years old at the time, Gerald. So again, important to keep that in mind when Gerald Anderson talks about what he sees. He was six. <laughs> Then there's Grady L. Barney Barnett. She claimed to found some wreckage and bodies in the plains of San Augustine as well. Also in the same-ish area. 
uh, about 120 miles from where Mac Brazel found the wreckage. And then finally, Glenn Davis. He was a mortician for Roswell Army Airfield and claimed to have spoken with a nurse who had seen the alien bodies for herself. However, the nurse remains unidentified, of course. We do not know who that nurse was, nor if we can take that as a uh, point of fact. So he's just known because of the, he has this one piece of hearsay. Correct. Okay. There's That's one of those like, well, he might just be trying to get in on the story. You know, like, well, no, I definitely, the nurse, she saw the aliens, dude. She saw them. She definitely saw them. So we're going to quickly talk a little bit about the actual event, and then we're going to leave the episode off, and we're going to move into episode two soon. Damn. Wednesday, July 2nd, 1947, the day of the last sighting that we talked about is actually the very beginning of the Roswell incident. Mr. and Mrs. Dunn Wilmot reported an oval-shaped object moving at an incredibly high rate of speed over their house in Roswell, New Mexico. During a thunderstorm in the Corona, New Mexico area, Mac Brazel heard a thunderclap that sounded like an explosion that he says sounds, quote, much different than thunder, end quote. William Woody also reported that he and his father watched a bright meteor described as white with a red tail streak, uh, with a red tail streak across the sky, falling past the horizon out of sight. So this is all in July 2nd, 1947. You kind of take pieces. Each one saw a different thing. Brazel had the clap happen. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Dan Wilmot saw an oval-shaped object fly over their bit, their their house, just kind of like, whoa, neat. Oval-shaped uh, fits tic-tac-shaped. Whoa. Yeah. Hey. I don't know. Wait, what, 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 what do you think they were saying in 1947 when they whoa, saw? wife, bro. Did you <laughs> in 1947, they were like, yeah. tubular, my guy. <laughs> Bodacious husband, bro. I know. Listen, bro. dude. This is what, what happens. I've been yeah. I've been in the alien world too long now. I grew the hair. I smoke weed way too much. I'm just it's I'm gone. You can't save yeah, me. Yeah, no. Whatever, 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 wife, bro. bro. The war no, is totally... just barely over, my dude. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank God I survived the war to come back to you, wife. Bro. Hitler is freshly <laughs> <Thanks>. buried, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you all. <laughs> I hate you all. So, so all tell right. me, is there is there actually a theory that you're gonna get to that like explains like in a like sort of like almost like lore way, like how all these people are seeing all these different craft? Is that like Yes, but that's not gonna be till much later. Right, right. But there yes. is that people yeah. are Yes, you fool, not till much later. Much later. later. <laughs> Please, Alex. Please, we'll get there eventually. I'm just so right. fascinated by the situation because, like, conceptualizing it like this, I didn't really realize that it was like a bunch of little things that sort of just all happened at once that yep. everybody got involved in altogether. I, I thought it was more like one thing that happened. Uh, Tommy yes. Lee Jones was there. Uh, he was. He joined the Men in Black, and he had to leave his girlfriend behind. Uh, Here comes the you know, out. he was gonna propose. He was yeah, gonna propose. He brought the flowers and he gave them to the alien instead. It was so sad. Yeah, it was sad. It was, it was very sad. sad. And the, but it's okay because they're all in a marble anyway. The end. <laughs> that, yeah, true. Everything means nothing. We're just toys. Shout outs. Shout outs to my man. Uh, what's his name? Nasty habits. Uh, what the hell is his name? What? Oingo Boingo. Dan Danny Elfman. There we go. Danny Elfman. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oingo Boingo. Anyway. <laughs> we gotta we gotta refocus and get through the event, boys. Wait, wait but all right. So, so my okay. question for you is: Sorry, sorry. Just so everyone understands what's going on. Yes. 
Leading up to this moment, yes. there are numerous sightings. Numerous sightings over days, weeks. Over days. It is post-World War II. Yep. We've dropped two atomic weapons. We are in sort of a, a, a post, post-war, but introducing the space race concept. Uh, it's a huge Nazi time. scientists huge have been recruited to join NASA. Like, I mean, that's pretty much what's going on, right? Like, there's Pretty much, yeah. You know, early NASA was a lot of Nazi rocket scientists. <laughs> it really was. Project it's Paperclip. totally true. We'll, we'll talk about that um, definitely one day. Paperclip is huge. But, like, all of, all, these, all of these things are, like, happening right now. It's, it's like, there's a lot of um, excitement, uh, buzz, mystique, mystique on the government level. There's, like, a mystery. Like, there's a lot going on as the world sort of reordering and restructuring itself. Because those of you who don't know, also, a lot of the countries that exist currently today were formed post-World War II. Yep. Like a lot of the world was restructured and reshaped yeah. after the end of that war. It's it's very different, which is is I I find int- very very interesting in this UFO context specifically. So that was that that was July second. The the what mother the husband and wife saw the object. Brancher heard a bang, and then somebody reported seeing the bright object in the sky descend past the horizon. It's then the next day on the third of July that due to the rain night before the. Uh, due to the rain the night before, Mac Brazel actually could not go outside and check what, what happened in his fields where he heard the noise. So it was the next day that he was able to go outside and inspect his fields. And it was there that he found what he claims is a rain-soaked, uh, in the rain-soaked pasture, pasture, past the sheep. He found scattered across the fields extending from the top of a small circle on the hills, ran down the Arroyo-dried riverbed, up another hill, and disappeared into the riverside, Reports say three quarters of a mile long, the 200 foot wide with a gouge starting at the north end, extending four or 500 feet toward the other end. There, the debris lied, was so thick on the ground that the sheep couldn't actually even cross over it and had to be driven an extra mile to water. That gash in the ground was so big, the sheep couldn't get around it. How the fuck big was the craft? What was going on? Why did they a weather balloon, a man? Fortress? It's just a a balloon. What are you talking about? Weather balloon came down. It just fucking annihilated the ground for three quarters of a mile. What are those things called? Ronsons? How yep. big are they even? Not that big. You can like look at it. As big as a person. Like, it's not <laughs> like I could fit that inside my body. Yeah, it's nuts. Not thinking much of it, however, and being the rancher that he was, Brazel decided to, for the sake, for the shit of it, take some of the debris home. And actually share it with some of his neighbors, Floyd and Loretta Proctor. The material they tried and they claimed. They sat at the table and they played with it, experimented with it. It was fascinating to them. And they claimed no matter how hard they tried, and they tried, this material could not be burned or cut. Yeah, I remember I remember some old TV show or something about this where he was saying he was trying to crinkle it up. And he yep. could, and, and, and no it matter what he would do, he'd, he'd like put it back, and it would just not be wrinkled again. Yep, it was always perfectly smooth, yet very malleable and flexible. They would try and tear it, they would try and burn it, and nothing would happen. They'd take scissors to it and a knife to it, and they couldn't cut it, but it could still be moved and flexible. That's crazy. Now imagine if that's what UFO, if this is a UFO, that's what the UFOs are made out of. I mean, it would explain a, like how easily they can move. It's like James but, Cameron shit. Yeah, really, it's it's wild. Three days later, Brazel drove to the drove the seventy five miles into Roswell Prosper. Or pro, proper. He stopped at the office of Sheriff George A. Wilcox, and Wilcox suggested that he call the military after he 
told him of what he found and what happened. While they were, and so we did. And while they were waiting for the military officers to arrive, Wilcox ended up dispatching two deputies to the ranch. Frank Joyce said that he called the sheriff and asked if there was anything interesting happening at the office. And Wilcox told him that he should interview Brazel while he was there. Colonel Blanchard, commander of the 509th Bomb Group, Major Jesse A. Marshall, and C, uh, the, the counterintelligence officer Cavett responded to the sheriff's call when he let them know of the crash and the materials that the rancher claimed to have found. The officers interviewed Brazel, examined some pieces of the material, and then Blanchard ordered Marcel and Cavett to accompany Brazel back to the ranch. So basically, they show, he, he drove into Roswell with this stuff. He's like, hey, sheriff, uh, this shit happened, and he landed over. He's like, huh? Call the military. And so he called the military. And while they were there, he called over some of his uh, other officers and they kind of checked out the, the, the stuff. And then eventually the military showed up and then decided to take it and escort him back to the ranch. It, would you really take something like that if you were the military, if you didn't immediately know what it was? I, that's a good question. I don't know that what so standard procedure would be. I imagine, I mean, you know, there's context to it, right? Like, I think during this time period. Yeah. You would, because if you recall, the they just came out of um, the militarization of the nation, right? Like the reason why America did so well in World War II is because when the time came that we we're like, all right, we're actually gonna fight now after Pearl Harbor. Like the entire nation was like, your cars are now tanks. You this thing, like everything you do is for the war effort. America has never been like that since, so I think we don't have the context. Right. For why people would trust the military as much as they did in the '40s, which was like, yeah, we're all in the we're like we're all in this together, and like, good old Uncle Sam will look out for us, and we gotta watch out for GI Joe, like all this yeah, shit. Yeah, we're like booming. Contextually, that makes sense. Yeah, I'll buy that. Yeah. Now we're like, nah, man, f that. It just because seems crazy that that there would be like a mysterious substance, and that an officer would be like, pack it up. You know what I mean? Like yeah, that seems sure. crazy. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, I mean, it's tough. It's so tough because. Like Jesse said, this the, the late 40s, this is just a time of mystery for the government, too. So they're everything they're doing, they're probably just like, put a lid on it, put a lid on it, put a lid on it, put well, a lid I mean, on that's, it. And that's what's messed up, is it's it's a time period where the public is like, we love the military. Yeah. Our boys in, you know, I, I won't say boys in blue, yeah. that's not true. <laughs> it's not. Our boys in whatever color uniform they're wearing. But, uh, but at the same time, it's also when the government's doing some really messed up, like, secret op shit. Oh, yeah. And the Cold War is kicking off, and like, it is... Everyone that you know, everyone from from Hoover on up, like it is, it's it's all bad news. Yeah. So it's unfortunate, you know. and it makes it difficult when you want to know things like this shit. Yep. So moving forward, um, Colonel Blanchard. After that, uh, this is after the he he sent back um, the rancher with his es with his escort guard, I guess, back to seventy five miles back to his ranch. Blanchard alerted the military headquarters of what he found or what was brought out. Acting on the orders from General Clements McMullen, passed to him by Colonel Thomas DeBose, they sealed some of that material that the rancher Brazel had brought to the sheriff's office. The material was then flown uh, onto Fort Worth Army Airfield. Not, not the big super fortress one. This is just a, a piece of material right. that he brought. It was immediately brought to Fort Worth. This is just a little, little proof little of bean, concept. Yep. And remember, he, he and the brancher had this material for about four, three or four days. He played with it for like three or four days. Around, yeah. Yeah, him and the neighbors, they were literally playing with it. It's what they that's, did with it. That's the other thing that's weird about this is they're like, we don't know where it is or they didn't know that it existed because you'd think if it was like a, a craft, 
that you lost that you would just go get it the same day because you probably know exactly where it is, right? Yeah, if, if this is like an, a U.S. test craft with a pilot inside and it gets annihilated, why? Yeah, why did it take him driving like into Roswell or something in there? You well, know what but I mean? but there, there there is some interesting theories that we'll talk about that they could be another country's the Cold War Russia uh, a test a test vehicle of theirs that ended up crashing. I heard some crazy theory one time about it being like a hoax from Russia. Yep, there's a there's there's a theory that they literally took a, a craft. We'll we'll talk about this in episode episode three way deeper and why people kind of take it a little seriously, but. Yeah. And they filled it with physically deformed and mentally impaired children and sent it to crash and that hoping that they would mistake the bodies of those physically deformed and mentally impaired children of, as aliens. That just seems that, so fucked up to me. Like, how could that be the plan? Like, how? And how is there any way that you can guarantee that whoever sees them is going to go aliens? I mean, I heard, um, I heard that potentially the plan if that was the case, mm-hmm. like one of the reasoning behind it was like a lot of a lot of the reasoning behind a lot of the Russia stuff is like it's the Cold War. The Cold War is just starting and it's Russia saying we can do whatever we want on your soil. Yeah. And the justifi- and the justification is America is supposed to be like, oh, we have to cover this up. We don't want people to know, which, you know, seems very you know, like spy movie, which I think, you know, who knows yeah. if that's real or not. Yeah. But it makes sense in like a. Noir film kind of way that we have to cover it up. They're on American soil. (laughs) Yeah, I mean it's it's you can it's an easier way to swallow it if you want to go that angle for sure. Um, After the military officers left alongside with Brazel to escort him, the two deputies returned. They remember remember the sheriff sent out two deputies to check out the crash site with the debris. They came back after the military left with the rancher, and they reported to have found. No debris in the debris field, but they did find a burned area in one of the pastures. The sand had been turned to glass and blackened. Glass it looked as if something. Sand? How hot does it have to be to glass sand? It, and they said it looked as if something circular had touched down. Now, remember, these are the uh, deputies that he sent the sheriff sent out. 3,200 degrees. It has That's to insane. Get to glass sand. It's in the no debris. It's gone. The debris is gone. That's so <laughs> at least hot. as far as they saw. Yeah, and it's all burned down. The aircraft from Roswell was met at the Fort Worth Army Airfield by Debose and Colonel Alan Clark. Clark received the plastic bag with the debris and walked to the command, the B, and walked to the command B twenty six to fly it onto Washington D.C. and General McMullen. So they nice. literally brought brought this thing to Fort Worth, Texas, in a baggie. In a baggie, handed it off, and now it's being flown to D.C. Immediately to D.C. because they're like, it's a off, off, goodbye, see ya, off to D.C. it goes. No one was like, do you guys have anything silver and disc shaped that you guys sent out (laughs) that we need to worry about? Yeah, is there some secret tech going on? It just doesn't make logical sense to me totally. That they would would do that with like. It doesn't. Honestly, honestly, weather balloon, I don't buy it. But again, We'll talk about more of the evidence. Anyway, because the trip back to the ranch was 75 miles and it was so dark, Brazel, Marcel, and Cavett, Marcel and Cavett being the two people from the military, arrived after dark and they just ended up staying the night. They just spent the night there. Going on to the next day, Monday the 7th, 1940s. Yeah, they stayed at the, the, the ranch overnight. Weird, okay. Yeah. But that means the next day, Brazel was able to take them both out to the field where he found the debris. 
Marcel and Cavett walked the perimeter of the field and then ranged out looking for more debris or another crash site maybe that was in the area, but ended up finding nothing. Finally, they returned and spent the remi- remainder of their day collecting the debris, collecting what debris they still could. They loaded the rear of Marcel's 1942 Buick convertible, as well as the Jeep carry-all driven by Cavett, and left the field around dusk. So, while they weren't able to find any debris, what ended up happening is the rancher took a lot of the debris beforehand during those three days, and he moved it into his giant barn. And that's where most of it was. So, they took what they could out of there, and uh, they took it, they loaded up the trucks with what debris they had, and they left. The next day, Marcel stopped by his house on the way to the base. He awakened his wife and son to show them the material he had. They spent an hour examining this thing, scattered all on the kitchen floor. After, Marcel collected it all, loaded it into the car, and drove to the base. He took a detour with this shit, woke up his family, and just was like, Hey guys, wanna see something cool? And he just fucking put it out there. And then a kid and a wife played with it for an hour. I don't understand. I, I, I... Like, what could this have been? Why do we know that? All the interviews. The people, the, the investigative journalists over the years hunted these people down and just got stories from them in their older years. What lands that the government doesn't come looking for for almost five days that they immediately fly to Washington, D.C., and also the guy was so excited about that he showed it to his wife? You wouldn't show, like, a spy craft to your wife. Yeah, you want to show like a piece of balloon to your wife? Maybe I don't know. You don't know what I mean. You like I wouldn't show Not a spy people have my seen wife that kind because of stuff. I'd be worried that I'd take a bullet for it. You know what I mean? Like a spy, it's like oh, this is it's, dangerous. I don't know about it's like, all loosey goosey, right? Yeah, it feels all very loosey goosey, right? Yeah, Nobody sloppy. seems to be giving a shit. Everybody's sharing it with everybody else. Everybody's like, look how cool this shit is. But it's right after that that Marcel and Cavett visited with Blanchard, the other military guy that they've been talking to in his quarters, telling him what they'd seen with the material and so on. Blanchard then called the provost marshal, Major Edwin Easley. Blanchard ordered Easley to post guards on the roads around the crash site, denying all access to anyone without official business. Blanchard also ordered Easley to find Brazel and have him escort the MPs to the site. Blanchard also called the 8th Air Force headquarters and advised them that Marcel had returned with more debris. The 8th Air Force headquarters in Fort Worth relayed Blanchard's message up the chain of command, alerting the Pentagon about the material. A special flight from Andrews was granted from men coming from the Pentagon, and that's when we can say the government, in a weird way and officially, put a lid on Roswell. It's at that moment they blocked everything up, they stopped people from going, going in, going out, and everybody was beginning to get new orders to change their stories. And that is where we're going to leave Roswell part one off. What in the hell, man? It just doesn't feel... I don't I don't hear it and feel like, oh, this is nothing. Like a lot... Sometimes you read about a thing and you're like, this is definitely an interesting little story, but like if I'm thinking about this, it's easily made up by one guy. You know? Yep. This doesn't have that, that tang to it. The fun stuff well, isn't even happening yet, boys. I'm just saying. The, the, the issue with, with Roswell, as far as I can see, is that... There have been so many interviews conducted over mm-hmm. years and years and years and years that the story we have now is like the extrapolation of all those interviews put together. Yes, it's very and, much like taking different puzzle pieces and just trying to. And that's make why a there's parts of it that you're like, wait, what? <laughs> like, wait, what? <laughs> because there's certain things that don't make sense uh, across the board, but it's because 
it's been what 70s 60 years now something around those lines yeah and we just passed things. an anniversary of Roswell, actually, a few days ago. And, it's, yeah, it's one of those things where so many people have added to the story or had deathbed confessions or mm-hmm. said different things that it, it there's a lot of convolution as well. I don't know. I mean, there are some things where I'm like, oh, well, that could totally be a real thing. But at the yep. same time, I'm like, Me too. this guy is clearly a plant, right? There's, like, weird yeah. things in this story that do not check out. And it is the deeper we get, the more it's like, wait a minute. what What is this? Yeah. We're going to talk, like, I'll give you a peek, a peek in the next episode. We're going to really talk heavily about the wreckage and the material itself. And apparently the claims of symbols that were seen along the edges of it. All that stuff is in Wacky Town. But we'll talk a little bit more about that because we're going to learn about the MJ-12 and all that next episode. And let's take a minute to realize the importance of the fact that at its core, what Roswell is saying is that if, if, if. Yes. These are aliens. If. Big Jesse if. If these are aliens. The story here is that post-atomic weapon usage, aliens started to appear on Earth as like, we know you guys are about to enter a new age. We're here to do this whole, like, make sure you're on the up and up. But aliens that can travel across however you think aliens travel, dimensions or space and time or whatever... They just, like, crash. Like, an alien ship just crashed. Like, it seems insane. Like, there's so much to this. An alien ship, they imagine, like, we made it across the galaxy and we crashed in a field. Well, like, Jesse, it doesn't, what if I told you that it ne- didn't necessarily crash by malfunctioning? Oh, shit. But we were tracking it and shot it down out of the sky. Oh, shit. Then why aren't we destroyed? Why aren't we as a world destroyed? Well... We'll talk about that <laughs> because unless, oh my God, this is all the matrix what and if, they did destroy. I mean, us honestly, what if we mean so twos. very little, like we're just like an ant. It's like an ant biting us. Isn't that the plot you know of I mean? Saints Row? Doesn't that, <laughs> doesn't that happen? Uh, actually, yes. I think it Saints does. Row 4, yeah. we're like aliens invade and <laughs> put us in the matrix. Oh, you're absolutely right. <laughs> you're absolutely right. That is the plot of Saints Row 4. Yeah. Aliens invade. Disclosure has been happening in all mediums of entertainment, everybody. <laughs> Uh, I hope you enjoyed part one of Roswell. I am so excited to dive into this three or four parter. I don't know what it's going to be, but this has been, uh, I'm so excited to keep going. Thank you all so much for listening. As always, if you want and you've been listening and you want to leave us a good review or review where you listen, it does a lot to keep us kind of at the top and where people finding us and discovering us. We were, we're at over 1200 reviews on iTunes now. Uh, wow. Maintaining that five-star average. We constantly crack into the top 10 improv uh, comedy Imp- yeah. improv comedy yeah we do we're in the top 10 podcast is there not improv. a paranormal podcast there is not but we do crack into the top 50 uh, true crime podcasts uh, regularly as well Get um, we should be number one paranormal podcast there's no paranormal like there should be. Uh, are they saying it's not real because I tend to agree <laughs> so we're comedy <laughs> we're a comedy podcast who are we who are we slam ourselves and our, you know, we're slam dunking ourselves and all those on Patreon who gives us their money. Thank you so much. We're going to go rec- record in a mini-sode. If you want to reach out to us, you can do so on Twitter. I'm at Mathis Games. Alex at Faciane A. Jesse's at Jesse Cox. And the podcast at Chew Illuminated Pod. Same thing on uh, the Reddit. God, Jesse, you have so many dreams. I'm so ready to have you dream interpret next time we oh do a fan Oh, boy. It's going to be great. But we're out of here. Goodbye, everybody. We'll see you next week. Patreon.com slash Pod. 
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.